ESPN Sports Radio 1392.5. Now for something completely different. We're going to bring, bring it all together. Because that's the bottom line. Bottom line. ESPN Radio 1392.5. It's the bottom line with Brad Taylor. Presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Good morning. Thank you for joining us here on this beautiful Sunday. Miss Judy, please take your meds this morning or I will report your eBay account immediately and you'll receive cease and desist letters. 859-381-1313. If you'd like to call and join in on the conversation, you can call, you can email the show anytime, bottomlinelex at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at bottomlinelex. On today's show, burn your couches, Lexington. Apparently, Lexington, now the city of champions. Furniture stores delight. The Reds pulled off a rare feat this week, but a typical feat for them. Our old friend Farrell Elliott of the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship will join us to talk the NFL draft props and how those draft picks this week will affect fantasy football for the, in, the coming season. And our old friend Angelo Carriero is coming on. At the end of the show, he'll be in studio to discuss some of these draft props out in the desert before his big NFL draft spectacular coming up later this morning at 10 o'clock. And of course, the most profitable segment in Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks, brought to you by Jake Cigar Bar, focusing on our favorite NFL draft props. All that and much, much more on this week's Sunday edition of the Lexington's fastest-growing sports talk radio show. But first... Mel Kuyper Jr. If you're tuning in to this show this morning, expecting us to wax poetic about the UK women's volleyball team winning the national championship and everybody in central Kentucky burning their couches last night, no offense, but you've probably come to the wrong place. I didn't watch the game. I've never watched a college volleyball game. I've never tried to cash a ticket out the desert on a college volleyball game. Yesterday on this show, our good friend and BBN Tonight host, Keith Farmer, came on here and said Kentucky was going to win. What was he supposed to say? Of course the host of BBN Tonight is going to go on the radio and say Kentucky's going to lose? No way. Of course not. That's his job. But congrats to UK women's volleyball. Apparently they're having a big party today when they get back in town. And people will be burning more couches in the streets here like they did last night. And God bless them but I don't follow women's volleyball. Why? Bottom line, credo. If we can't bet on their next games all season, we ain't talking about it. And so we've got flack this year for not talking about the rifle team winning the championship. Now we're going to get some flack for not talking about the volleyball team because we're just about done with this. But hey, God bless them. Congratulate them on winning the national championships. But we got actionable information to get to. Let's get to the NFL draft this week, where you could actually cash tickets out in the desert. You could actually make some money in your pocket. If there's one success story in sports media that isn't appreciated enough, it's Mel Kuyper Jr. 40 years ago, he was just a guy. He was a nobody, running around in the late 70s. He grew up in Baltimore, but he always wanted to be an NFL scout. But he hustled. He was talking and giving his information out to anybody who would listen. He was eventually hired by the Baltimore Colts in 1982 after years of trying to hustle his draft information. But when the Colts moved to Indianapolis, they left poor Mel Kuyper Jr. behind. 
So Mel went to ESPN. They hired him in 1984. And in 1984, times were a little bit different. The draft wasn't shown on primetime network TV like it will be this week. It was on ESPN on a Tuesday morning, started at 8 o'clock in the morning. Since 1984, Mel Kuyper Jr. has covered every draft for for ESPN. And whether you agreed with him or not, Mel Kuyper helped make the draft what it is today. Well, that in the desert, opening up draft procs to the gamblers like us so we could cash some tickets. But the first year Mel Kuyper worked for ESPN, he made $400. Not a week, not for the month, the entire year. Kuyper admits he lost money the first four years he worked at ESPN. But he was still hustling his side action, his little draft information book. And he was gaining momentum. He's been making six figures now for over two decades. But those early days were tough, but he kept hustling, and he had faith in what he was doing. But as the 80s turned into the 90s, Mel Kuyper Jr. became a superstar. As ESPN grew and the NFL grew, so did Mel Kuyper Jr.'s status, along with jokes about his hair, especially in April every single year at draft time. All this came to a head in 1994. 1994, the draft had gotten a lot more popular, and they'd already moved it to Saturdays instead of that Tuesday morning 8 o'clock wake-up call. And Mel Kuyper screamed in 1994 from the rooftops that his former employer, the Colts, needed a quarterback, and they just had to take Trent Dilfer. Well, the Colts didn't take Trent Dilfer, and Mel Kuyper went crazy. Immediately, ESPN, of course, knowing the moment, they go live to Indianapolis where the Colts general manager, Bill Tobin, was interviewed by Chris Mortensen and asked on national television live, who the hell is Mel Kuyper anyway? And what did Kuyper do after this little act that might have questioned him, that might have made him doubt himself? He stood his ground. He didn't let an NFL decision maker influence his point of view. Kuyper was so convinced that the Colts needed a quarterback, and he gave his reasons why. I remember watching all of this live, thinking, man, Mel Kuyper's 100% right. Whether he was or whether he wasn't, the reason why we all believed Mel Kuyper was right was because he was so passionate and well-researched in his information. Times were a lot different in 1994, but not that much different. And it taught us a life lesson that we still use today. If you've done your work, and you've done your research, stick to what you believe, even if someone else calls you crazy. Believe me, that happens in my life, both on this show and away from this show, quite a bit. And after this incident, you might think Kuyper would have been reprimanded by ESPN, or maybe he got a little scared, a little timid. No way. He became even bigger. Although every GM in the league insults him on camera when they were interviewed, they all subscribe to his draft reports. Kuyper was even a media star. He, went, he was on the Madden football video games. He was all over the place. But as always, there's kickback. As some people say that now, he only pumps up players that his agent friends represent. But why does Kuyper still have a job today? Anybody can talk about the top half of the first round of this draft, but every single year, when the fans are gone and the circus atmosphere is dead at that draft, These NFL teams are still taking guys, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th round. 
And the ESPN talking heads just let Mel Kuyper do his thing because he's ready to talk about every player that's drafted in that draft, and he doesn't even need notes. He's got it right off the top of his head. That's where he earns his money. Being able to talk about these players drafted in the seventh round off the top of his head that even most insiders have not heard of. Well, the time didn't prove either Mel Kuyper Jr. or Bill Tobin to be right. The Colts still had Jim Harbaugh quarterback the year that they passed on Trent Dilfer, and they made the AFC Championship the next year, 1995. But the guy that the Colts took instead of Trent Dilfer, Trev Alberts, a linebacker from Nebraska, he was a complete bust. So there actually were no winners in this because they both were wrong. But it's still the most memorable moment in draft history, if you ask me. Even more than Aaron Rodgers watching 20 teams pass him up while he's crying in a green room. All those times, the countless times the Jets screwed up. The two years in a row, the Vikings let the clock run out and allowed teams to pick ahead of them. Moments like that. An NFL GM actually acknowledging an ESPN talking head and calling him out on live national television was a signal that the NFL draft had totally arrived on television as a true entity. So this week, when you're hearing all these NFL draft cliches, and it's all over ESPN and ABC, it's on primetime network TV Thursday night. When you're getting your action down in the desert and you're cashing tickets on these draft props that we're going to talk about all day today, just remember, all those years ago, when Mel Kuyper helped make this the circus that it was today, when the NFL acknowledged him as a somewhat reliable source. And that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio 1392.5, the bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. When I was a kid and first started watching sports, it was the late 70s. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were the worst team ever. They lost their first 26 games to start their franchise. In fact, if I was at recess and somebody dropped an easy pass at recess football, the old reliable insult, oh, you couldn't even play for Tampa Bay, you're so bad. That every kid would say that. And then a guy named Jackie Smith dropped a pass in Super Bowl thirteen. Then he was the reference. But the point is that in 1979, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers started a campaign called From Worst to First. And they actually pulled it off after going three straight miserable seasons to a division championship in 1979. Worst to first. Well, the exact opposite has happened in the last six days for the Cincinnati Reds as they lost another one yesterday, 2 to nothing to the Cardinals to go from first place a week ago when we were talking on this show to last place today. This time a week ago, the Reds were leading the division. Life was good. Today, six-game losing streak, and they're dead last in the National League Central. 9-11 record. What a difference a week makes. But hey, look at the bright side. The bullpen didn't give up any runs yesterday. At least they have that going for them. Then again, none of their major bullpen personalities pitched yesterday. That might be telling you something right there. Eugenio Suarez, another lousy day. 0 for 4 yesterday. Now hitting a much worse than Mendoza 149 on the season. Oh, he's just off to a bad start, right? Well, he hit 49 home runs in 2019. That's great, yeah. But since then, the last two years, we'll count the COVID games last year, 75 games, 268 at-bats, he's hitting 190 with 99 strikeouts. Is it going to get better for him? 
Well, it can't get any worse. We'll just put it that way. Today at Bush Stadium, game three of Reds and Cards, a game you can hear right here on ESPN Radio 1392.5 at 145 this afternoon. And we've got a pitching matchup today. Luis Castillo for the Reds. He's seen better days. One and one on the season, 6.05 ERA. And Jack Flaherty for the Cards, one of our favorites and their ace. 3-0 on the season, 3.80 ERA. Cards minus 120 favorite, total of seven. That's the lowest on the board today. That should tell you something about these two pitchers. Luis Castillo, what happened to this guy? The Reds are 1-3 in at his starts this year. His ERA plus is 74. An average pitcher is 100. With a whip of 1.655. That's not good. Nothing good from Castillo at all other than dominating the Pirates at his second start. But then again, a lot of teams are going to dominate the Pirates this year. But Castillo has been decent in his career against the Cardinals. Although the Reds are lifetime 46-48 and 48 in Castillo's 94 career starts, the Reds are 7-5 in his 12 lifetime starts against the Cardinals, including Castillo 5-1 when he starts against the Cardinals in St. Louis. So Castillo has made you some money out in the desert against the Cardinals, especially at Bush Stadium. Jack Flaherty starts for St. Louis. He's really good. He's one of our favorites. We always like to invest in this guy. When he's pitching, we're looking for reasons to take him, not go against him. Two years ago, he had one of the best second halves of a season uh, this century, and that got him to finish fourth in the Cy Young voting. The Cardinals, though, only 41-37 and 37 when Flaherty starts in his career. He's faced the Reds eight times, and the Cards have a 5-3 and three record in those eight games that Flaherty started against the Reds. So in theory today, you have each team's ace with a good history statistically against their opponent facing each other. But St. Louis is in the better spot. Flaherty's been a lot better this season than Castillo has. Cardinals' bullpen, a little more overused than the Reds, who didn't pitch any of their big three yesterday, using the term big three very loosely when I refer to Garrett Sims and Doolittle. The Reds need to be uh, a bigger dog today for me to take them, for us to consider them. Plus 100 even money, that's not big enough, especially with a team that was shut out yesterday and now faces the Cardinals' best pitcher today. Uh, I think St. Louis gets this one, and that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio, 1,392.5. The bottom line, presented by Stable Duel. Thank you for joining us on this morning. Hey, it's time for our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks NFL Draft Prop Edition, sponsored by Jake's Cigar Bar. How do you celebrate a big winner? Of course. Head on down to Jake's Cigar Bar at Brandon Crossing and line up that Mac Daddy Stogie even before the commissioner reads the card at the podium and gives a big bear hug to the guy walking out of the green room. As they say at Jake's, smoke local, drink local, and cross the line with us. Cross the line? You can define that however you want. But look them up online at jakescigarbar.com. We went one and one yesterday. How did the Twins lose that game? We don't know. We uh, won, actually, the game we thought had the most doubt. Yankees topping Shane Bieber, who's one of the best pitchers in baseball. But today, it's all about the NFL draft props. Let's look local first. The Bengals. Everybody on the Bengals right now. And a lot of people thinking, hey, of course, Joe Burrow, quarterback, LSU. Huh. Who is his favorite receiver at LSU? Jamar Chase, receiver. He's on the board. He should be picked right here, right? We don't think so. 
we think they're going offensive line in this one. We think they're going to take uh, Sewell, the offensive lineman from Oregon. I mean, don't overthink this. I mean, you think you look at Zach Taylor, offensive-minded guy who wants to add another receiving weapon. How can you pass up a talent like Jamar Chase? Plus, why wouldn't he want an opportunity to reunite with Joe Burrow? But let's consider the fact that if Joe Burrow doesn't get any protection, he won't have any time, or as we saw last year, he won't have any health to throw to anybody in the first place. Yes, A.J. Green is gone, but they still have Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins and John Ross is out of town, which is which removes a huge hole at the wide receiver core. The Bengals play this one smart for once and look to protect Joe Burrow and their quarterback of the future. We think they're taking an offensive line in the first round. You get this at plus 120 out in the desert right now. We like this one. We'll take Bengals to take an offensive lineman. First round, plus 120. Speaking of receivers, the over-under on numbers of receivers drafted in the first round, four and a half. We like this total to go over four and a half. Three of them are locks. Jamar Chase and Alabama's duo, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. Five others pop up as first-rounders in these various mock drafts that we respect here on this show. I expect at least five to go, including Minnesota's uh, Rashad Bateman, LSU's Terrace Marshall, and it would be no surprise to see six or even seven picks in the first round. You can get this right now, four and a half. We're going to go over four and a half receivers picked in the first round. Staying with the SEC, Najee Harris, first running back drafted. Not in the first round, but just the first running draft pick, period. We'll take him at minus 150. Najee Harris, first running back to be picked. Running back position has been devalued like crazy in recent years. So it seems like no one will go in the first round other than this guy, potentially. Najee Harris, every down back. Draws comparison to Le'Veon Bell, hopefully on the field, not off the field in terms of contract demands. The Steelers looking to take Najee Harris because who else do they have other than Benny Snell? Oh, Benny Snell's an NFL running back. Uh, He's not a superstar NFL running back. This kid could be one. Harris, a good bet to go before Clemson's Travis Etienne and Javante Williams in North Carolina. We like Najee Harris to be the first running back drafted, minus 150. So many props have depended upon just Justin Fields. Why did the 49ers trade up? Did they really trade up all the way to the number three pick to take Mac Jones at number three? I think at this point we'll have to say they do. But we'll take Justin Fields to go over three and a half. Teams frequently feed these lies and misinformation to the media before the draft, and the Niners are as good as anybody, especially Shanahan. You know his dad, Mike Shanahan. He was a bitter liar too. You can't trust anything out of these guys' mouth. There's too much information out there, that, though, that says Mac Jones actually is going third, whether we agree with it or not. So we'll take Justin Fields' draft position over three and a half. That's about a minus 150 you can find out in the desert. Some others that we like. Kyle Pitts, the tight end, the superstar tight end. Have you ever seen a tight end drafted in the top five? No, you haven't. But he's going to go in the top five in this one. We're going to go under five and a half for Kyle Pitts. Five and a half number uh, where he's going to be selected. He'll go earlier than that. Minus 150 with Kyle Pitts. We'll go under that one. Falcons, probably your winner in that one. Staying on with those tight ends. First round tight ends. Have you heard of any other tight end in this draft going in the first round? Yeah, we haven't either. That's a parlay special right there. Add those that one to some parlays throughout the day. First round tight ends under one and a half on that one. Jamar Chase. 
If he doesn't go to the Bengals, he's going number six to Miami. And somebody might have to trade up to get him. Jamar Chase, six and a half right now, where he will go in this draft. We'll go under six and a half. We feel like that's a good one. Number of offensive players taken in this draft. We talked with Farrell Elliott last week about this number. We actually agree with him for once. 17 and a half offensive players drafted the first round. All these Macs have got Mac mock drafts have got all these offensive players going. We'll go over in this uh, on this prop. 17 and a half offensive players first round. You got to pay a little bit of juice, about a minus 160, 170. We'll go over 17 and a half. Mac Jones, let's say he doesn't go to San Francisco. Somebody's going to go up to get him, whether it's New England, whether it's whoever. There's a lot of teams wanting to trade. Falcons will trade. Dolphins will trade. A lot of these teams will trade out of this spot in the, in the early part of this draft, right after number three, if somebody really wants Mac Jones, and somebody probably does. So under nine and a half for Mac Jones? Oh, yeah, that was one we took a long time ago. Mac Jones will go under the spot on him. So there's our props for the, uh, for the NFL draft right now. We like, let's see, we like the Bengals, offensive line, first round, plus 120. That's Sewell. Wide receivers, over four and a half. Najee Harris, first running back taken. Here's another one we like, all the, along with the Justin Fields draft position. Remember Kyle Trask? Remember when he uh, almost got his ankle ripped off over here at uh, Kroger Field a couple years ago? Boy, I can tell you a story about that. Probably should save it for maybe a podcast version. I think our good friend Vince Stover knows what I'm talking about. Kyle Trask, draft position, 77 and a half. Man, he's going earlier than that. I'm sorry. He is going. Kyle Trask should be drafted second round at best. He should not be waiting to the third round. Kyle Trask, under 77 and a half. That's one of our favorites as well. Look for the Lions. The exact position of the player they drafted in the first round. They just lost Kenny Galladay. They're going to take a wide receiver. You can get plus 120 on that one. That's another one we like. So, so many props to talk about in this one. So many props. Justin Fields, over three and a half. Kyle Trask, under 77 and a half. Najee Ferret, Harris, first running back drafted. Wide receivers in the first round, over four and a half. The Bengals take an offensive lineman. The Lions take a wide receiver. Kyle Pitts, under five and a half. First round tight ends, under one and a half. So many to choose from. Jamar Chase under six and a half. I can't even keep track. Over 17 and a half offensive players. If you didn't write those down, make sure to listen to our podcast. You can find that on WLXG.com. And you'll get to hear all these all over again and our reasoning behind them. But coming up after the break, we're going to talk more NFL draft props. And we're going to get an expert in here for once. Farrell Elliott, the commissioner of the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship. He will join us. And he will talk about the NFL draft props, and fantasy football implications from the draft this week. That's coming up right here on ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. The bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. When I hear that song, I think risky business, and when I think risky business, I think Tom Cruise. And a man that has been compared to Tom Cruise quite a few times over the years is our next guest. He is the commissioner of the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship. He is our good friend, Farrell Elliott. Farrell, how are you doing this morning, buddy? Just don't put me in the cockpit of a jet. There's very little I can do there. Top Yeah, I would fail that. But with Jerry Maguire, I would probably hit that one out of the park. Jerry Maguire. Hey, that's a good reference. That's a good yeah. reference. That's pizza. I, would, I, would, I would probably get I'd probably be okay. There. I can insert your... Uh, running around the house in your underwear joke, jokes here, but uh, that's okay. We'll get to fantasy football. You were telling me you had a draft last night at the KFFSC. Tell me maybe where some of these rookies 
in this fantasy draft last night because these are the best in the business in fantasy football. Where are some of these rookies getting drafted in these drafts that you're having right now, Farrell? There is there are some of the best drafters in fantasy football. We have yep. twelve drafters represented from different states around the country. Uh, the rookies are very much part of this draft, and it makes sense, Brad. The, the, these guys are becoming household names even before the drafts. We talked about it a little bit on the show last week with the can't miss guys. The two can't miss guys are uh, Chase out of LSU, the wide receiver Jamar Chase, and and Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida. And all your listeners are familiar with those guys. And we can't hammer it home enough. Uh, I talked to a scout this week. He told me something that I later saw in print, and it's being passed around. But the listeners should should always rely on this in fantasy football and any type of handicapping they're doing. Is if you played in the SEC, if you were successful and productive in the SEC, you're likely to be productive in the NFL and at least get more than one chance to prove you can be. And so that has led the draft in fantasy football. Those two players are coming off the board, as long as long along with the group uh, from Alabama, Najee Harris uh, and uh, uh, Michael Carter from North Carolina. Uh, those are two pretty good names, but it, it appears that when we get to the NFL draft on Thursday, uh, the first running back off the board may be uh, a player from North Carolina, uh, Carter's running mate there, uh, Javante Williams, who seems to be separating himself in the last few days before the NFL draft. So when I say Najee Harris will be the first running back drafted, you think that's not a good uh, wager out in the desert. Is that what you're telling me? Boy, it, it has it has been for February, March, and it, but it's our April Fool's joke on us, Brad, because Williams, is, Williams seems to be – uh, headed to the top, Etienne is is uh, a good player, but guess what? You know, some scout will tell you, you know what? Travis didn't play in the SEC, and we would have liked to have seen him play in some bigger composi- uh, uh, competition. But there's no bigger names than those guys uh, at the running back position. There are others. There are some very good running backs that will appear in the second and third round of the draft. And, you know, our, our real football guys that are sitting there, and they go, you know, listen to Brad and Farrell. All they want to talk to you about is these guys that are going to be big in fantasy football drafts. Well, that's not necessarily the truth, but they, it's the truth this year out of necessity. Uh, we are very, very light at so many positions, um, especially interior uh, linemen on the defensive side of the ball, the, the talent is, is just not there. And, and for every offensive lineman, for every even edge rusher, uh, there's five or six receivers with NFL skill. So there's going to be much focus on uh, on the young players coming into the league at those skill positions. You talk about the SEC, and I look at this wide receiver list, and I see one guy from LSU, then two guys from Alabama, then another guy from LSU. Is Bear Bryant... Bear Bryant's rolling in his grave when he was running that wishbone <laughs> offense back in the 80s. Did we ever see this from the SEC? And all these receivers coming out, can they be used maybe in a slot receiver kind of role? Uh, you're exactly right there, brother. You know, the slot receiver role used to be relegated to the fourth, fifth, sixth round. That's the names that are, the listeners are so um, aware of. Uh, Tyreek Hill, T.Y. Hilton, um, 
Antonio Brown, uh, Tyler Lockett continue. Tyler Lockett caught a hundred balls in the league last year. You take guys like those. Uh, you know, Brown. Uh, Brown went to uh, a non-power five uh, school. You know, so so did Hilton. These players. Uh, these players uh, were in a situation where they had to move on to get noticed by college recruiters. Now those guys are the targeted players, and and you see these multiple receiver sets. So it used to be, what happened was you remember Tavon Austin, Brad, and and people could see the opportunities, but. When is the offensive coordinator going to get to making him a focal point of the offense? And it never really happened in that guy's career. It's completely different now. I the slot receivers will move way up in Ta- the draft. Tavon Austin is a great example because I think he was drafted maybe eighth overall or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. it was early mm-hmm. first round. And you're right. They just never found a role for him. And they just, you know. And we, go ahead. You're, you're exactly right. And there are guys in this draft where you would say, Oh man, I years ago I'd be scared to take him because if he doesn't make it, everybody's going to say, "Why'd you take the five foot, uh, ten inch, and last wide receiver?" But those guys are now the offense coordinators in the NFL are getting very, very creative on how they use those those players. You know, Cole Beasley, ninety plus catches last year. So you're looking at from Ole Miss, Elijah Moore. We're looking at Purdue, uh, Rondell Moore. There's a guy. You know, let's talk about some guys that that are maybe not at the top of the list. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge, uh, this was a player from Western Michigan. He wore number one and, you know, playing in the Mac, you could catch him on Tuesday night if you wanted to watch football on Tuesday night. But he was a very, very interesting, explosive, good pass catcher, runs with the ball, runs like a running back, runs hard. He's, he's diminutive in stature, but when your team takes him, you might say, wow, that's an odd pick for us. We need a corner. We need a uh, an edge rusher. We need a, a really good linebacker that can drop in coverage. Well, the reason you're not taking those players is in this draft. They're not really there. So it's an offensive offensive coordinator's dream uh, for the 2021 draft. ESPN Radio 1392.5. The bottom line is Brad Taylor presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Farrell, this time last week, we were talking about the number three pick of the draft and that how Justin Fields was the favorite out in the desert to be picked in that mm-hmm. number three pick. Well, a week later, a lot of things have changed. The Reds have gone from first to worst, and <laughs> Justin Fields is no longer the favorite. It is now Mac Jones. And you have to wonder, why did the 49ers give up so much future capital to move all the way up to number three to take Mac Jones a guy that just started one year at Alabama and had the luxury of throwing to two of the best wide receivers in this draft. Are you still a believer they're going Mac Jones and Justin Fields is going to drop? You know, we predicted that, and yes, I am. And Justin Fields, I made a statement that um, last week that I made quickly um, that, that Justin Fields has a little bit of baggage with him. And the, that baggage attached to it is what has happened to some of the other quarterbacks that have ever recently come out of that school and he can't help that he can't help who played quarterback there but what he's coming out in a year when yes mac jones is the guy that i've zeroed in on because the 49ers have zeroed in on him and he can do exactly what they want him to do there's some words i can't use on the air from a gritty old uh, scout uh, in the nfl and it was not attributed but i can read it and i know who said it and he said, you know, Mac Jones would really be a good-looking player if he just didn't look like. 
and you can fill that in with any word you want. But uh, he looks exactly to the part of what they want to do with the 49ers. Now, the 49ers don't drop him or don't draft him. He drops like a rock. Uh, but there is the destination for Jones, and hopefully we gave that advice last Sunday, and some of your listeners uh, blindly believed in that and uh, can benefit come Thursday night. We can do all this Justin Fields talk all you want. It still baffles me how Georgia let him go. I I will tell oh, you, yeah. they would have they, Georgia would have been playing in the playoff this year if they had kept uh, Justin Fields around. That's that's another story for another day. I can go on about that forever. Uh, another thing too, Alabama changed their entire offense for Mac Jones, and no no wide receiver was going to win a Heisman Trophy with Tua there. Mac Jones made a Heisman Trophy winner out of Devontae Smith. That's that's something you have to look at if you're one of these pro teams. He made these wide receivers where Tua couldn't do that the year before. And the media asked, uh, you know, who do you like throwing the ball? And I forget, I, I guess it was Smith, but who do you like throwing the ball? And they said, well, is a fine quarterback, but we love playing with Jones. And, you know, we've talked about these slot receivers, Brad. One of the things, you know, w- w- player last year that I targeted very early, I actually got to go to a college game and sit there like a fan in the stands when Notre Dame ran out to play Louisville, and they had Chase Claypool. And I said, you know what? They're not using him correctly at Notre Dame. or Maybe they didn't have the quarterback to deliver the ball to him in that offense, but he was not the focal point of the offense, but he reminded me an Andre Johnson-type player. You know, uh, and, and he had a wonderful rookie year. Now, he's the kind of receiver that everyone wants. Six foot three, uh, can move very, very well. There is a player that looks like that, and that's Terrence Marshall down at LSU. Big catching radius, six foot three, a lot of speed. Uh, Terrence is a player that uh, scouts will sour on a little bit because he takes a few plays off. Uh, his his forty time, and we're seeing a lot of great forty times because they're not at the combine; they're at the college campuses. So guys are comfortable, and they're going out and running very impressive times. But you throw the film on. You roll the film, this player doesn't run like that on the field. He doesn't need to, you take a guy that the Kentucky players are familiar with. Oh, I think the kid's name is Palmer. It just escaped my mind. Uh, Tennessee wide out. There's a player that ran a four or five on pro day, but if you look at him on the field, he's moving, he's covering ground quickly. He looks like a very fast player. So if you're getting ready for a fantasy draft prior to or immediately after the draft, uh, the NFL draft, keep your eye on Palmer. Keep your eye on some of these other players that are a little less celebrated. Go look them up. Go see their highlights and see if you can see something that you think will transfer to the NFL field because there's a lot of players out there uh, that that are not household names right now as far as this draft is concerned but can help you be successful uh, in your fantasy football come this fall. The Bengals. Let's say they have a choice between the offensive lineman Sewell and the wide receiver Chase. Our friends in the desert say minus 140 to Chase. Your thoughts on that, Farrell Elliott? Uh, They've got some good receivers there. They'll be tempted to take another one. But, man, I really do like in a year when there's no offensive lineman in the league to go in the draft to go ahead and grab Sewell. You know, there's just not depth there. So when there is a guy there and you're perfectly lined up with him and you've got a big investment in your quarterback 
there, you know, Chase is like that uh, shiny, shiny Ferrari in the window, Brad. We all like oh, yeah. to have it, but they're going to make other receivers. We'll have a whole other group of receivers to talk about next year. You don't get a chance every year to draft a player like Sewell. Number four, Atlanta. Looks like they're going to take Kyle Pitts. Let's say they do. Where does he rank among tight ends this year in fantasy football if he does go to Atlanta at four? He goes to the fifth guy immediately, and he'll probably go to the fourth. Uh, the more hype it gets. You, 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 no one will put him in front of Waller, although he reminds players of Waller. Kelsey is untouchable as the number one tight end. There's still too much love as Kittle as a fantasy player and a football player. Your pure football guys love Kittle because he's one of the nastiest, meanest, blocking, receiving tight ends that have been around a long time. So that leaves Andrews and Pitts, and it would be 50-50, but Pitts will win that out. Uh, in, in the end, when people realize that uh, Atlanta finally has a tight end that that uh, will be targeted uh, productively. Now we've got a new coaching staff uh, in Atlanta, and that's that's the same people that uh, uh, that's the same people that did not throw the ball uh, as much as you would expect them to at Tennessee, and often kept despite the, the despite the massive numbers of carries for Derrick Henry often kept him on the bench in inexplicable times. So predicting what coaches are going to do uh, with, with certain players can be difficult, but my goodness, with Pitts, the sky is the limit. Number of running backs and number of tight ends drafted in this first round. The Desert says one and a half tight ends with a huge juice to the under, and the Desert also says yep. uh, a half a running back with huge juice to the over, except for that one. How, do you th- how many do you think will be drafted in this first round, running backs and tight ends? Okay, I, I think one, but I think there's a place where you could make some money because I'm a believer in uh, Fryermuth, the tight end out of Penn State. And, you know, tight end talk is not very exciting, uh, but tight end talk uh, has has all focused on pits. I believe the people that, that want to get their hands on Fryermuth are drafting in the range of 20 to 30 that could push him uh, into the first round. And also... If uh, if Philadelphia is unsuccessful in trading Zach Ertz, the Friermuth opportunities uh, look more solid uh, because, and, and I predict that a trade might be difficult in happening because uh, uh, the general manager at the Eagles is trying to make a name for himself in some trade, and uh, he's not getting a lot of takers for what he wants with Ertz. So uh, there's a long answer to your question, but if you want to if you want to bet on a long shot and get on the side of some plus money, uh, the tight end bet looks looks interesting. I think that the, Brad, the draft has gone too long. It's taken too long to get here yes. to April, and now we're in the situation where the scouts are picking apart these running backs and they're looking other ways. You know, you make a decision on something, you go on to something else, and it's a recency bias, and they they're not. A couple of other running backs have moved into consideration, and you know they're now kind of picking apart at the end uh, a little bit and showing some inconsistencies play, which I think is nonsense. But it's there, and so those guys could drop uh, early second round. So, yeah, I think the under on the running back is, is probably your safest one. He's Farrell Elliott, the commissioner of the KFFSC. Farrell, tell us where we can get in contact with you 
And to get in on the uh, big fantasy football contest later this summer, or you're drafting right now, you can draft now if you want to. You're drafting now, and, and the drafts now are, are designed to get you prepared. It's kind of like hitting practice golf balls. They're low entry points. Uh, you can come out and you play, and you, you'd be surprised uh, how quickly it gets you back into it, uh, that rhythm of understanding who the players are, which is what you want to do when you walk into the um, Caesars Southern Indiana where we host our, our, our live draft at the very end of August. You want to be there. You want to be familiar with all the names and where they're going. KFFSC.com is the website. My phone number is 502 523 5057. Best way to get on the phone uh, with me and talk a little fantasy football. Give me a text. I'll get back to you. We love uh, telling you how you can come in there and compete with Brad Taylor. And if you're going to, you better bring your game. We got some pretty good players, of which, Mr. Taylor, you are one of them. And I know you'll be ready. Oh, I'll be ready. Whether we win or not, that's debatable. He's Farrell Elliott from the KFFSC. Farrell, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you so much for uh, giving us some draft uh, info the last couple weeks. Thank you. Look forward to Thursday night, Brad. Thank you. All right, buddy. We'll see you. Thank you. That's Farrell Elliott of the KFFSC. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk more NFL draft. Maybe Angelo Carriero will join us. Maybe he will. Hopefully he will. Right after this, ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. The Bottom Line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective, and with us right now, we have a very special guest, using the term special very loosely. He's our old friend and our in-house resident NFL draft expert here at ESPN Radio. He is Angelo Carriero. Angelo, thanks for coming in on the bottom line. It's been a while. The only reason why I'm the in-house NFL draft expert is because I'm the only one that watches it here. That's the only reason that is. I kind of watch it. I watch what happens. It's not like I watch it, uh, you know. It's not like I'm sitting there with a pen and paper watching the seventh round. You know I used to do that. Like, no kidding. I used to sit there in the seventh round and write down each pick on a piece of paper when I was in middle school. that's why you're the in-house draft expert here at ESPN Radio. Hey, I know you love these wide receivers going in this draft. We've got over-under number of wide receivers in this draft. Four and a half in the first round. Your thoughts on that one? I think it's oh in the first round. First round, bang the over, bang the over. Oh, because yes. I mean, it's we've going, already given that. Yeah, yeah, because it's going to be without a shadow of a doubt. Now the thing is, is that I'm guessing the classification in this is that Kyle Pitts is going to be a tight end. Correct. Uh, so that, I mean, at least you can pencil in Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, uh, Jamar Chase for sure. I think you'll see a guy like uh, Terrence Marshall Jr. definitely go in the first round, and then you just have your litany of your Elijah Moore's, your Kadarius Tonys, uh, your Rashad Bateman's, maybe. But you're you're going to get five. Five wide receivers go in the first round. Second wide receiver taken. Jalen Waddle plus 850. Devontae Smith plus 900. Kind of a toss-up. Your thoughts on who goes second? I think that when it comes to wide receivers and how the NFL values wide receivers, uh, speed is the name of the game in a lot of ways. I think especially when you look at a year with uh, John Ross's meteoric rise when he was the ninth overall pick back in 2017. Yeah, where's he now, though? Yeah. If you look at Henry Ruggs last year, he went ahead of Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb, who I believe universally everybody had those two wide receivers over Ruggs. I would say that Jalen Waddle is going to be the second wide receiver off, even though I do have Devonta Smith as the number one wide receiver, in my opinion. If we're trying to put some money on the line, like you say, a couple of those, uh, what, do, what, what do you call your, your big stogie picks or whatnot? Mac Daddy Stogie. If you're going to use some of the terminology, get him straight. <laughs> Mac Daddy Stogie Picks, presented by Jake Cigar Bar. 
Jake's Cigar Bar. You know I went there Friday night? You, well, you banging should, place. I'm telling you, banging man. Banging place. Tell them the bottom line sent you, and they will set you up, man. We, we, we I didn't know that. Well, next time, I'm going to say that. Tell our good friends Jake and Autumn out there. They love us here at the bottom line. So, they, yeah, they, they're all in on the on the uh, back daddy stogie. Def, definitely going Jalen Waddle with that one. Bengals. Offensive lineman Sewell. Wide receiver Chase. Right now, the desert says wide receiver minus 140. I'm on the uh, side of maybe let's uh, look at that offensive lineman a little bit more to protect your investment in Joe Burrow. I get a good plus 135 pick for me. Your thoughts, what the Bengals do, wide receiver or offensive line? If I'm picking for the Bengals, I'm going Panay Sewell. But the closer we get to the draft, I truly believe it's going to be Jamar Chase. I think with what we've seen from some of their press conferences, the way they've spoken about how offensive linemen, it is a... I know that people online can say, oh, it's a deep offensive line class. And admittedly, uh, at least at the top uh, of the second round, you could probably find a guy like uh, Alex Leatherwood or... uh, um, I'm trying to remember his name. It's like Liam and Richburgers. Anyways, he you can find some of these offensive linemen, but personally, I think that would be a, a disaster in the sense of if you create a great offensive line, it doesn't happen without great players. And you have to start putting the investment into a guy like Panay Sewell. But if we're talking about who we think it is, from what they've said, I believe that Jamar Chase is essentially the locked-in guy at number 5 at this point. So we actually agree. We think they should go offensive line, but they probably will go Chase. I think they're, go- I think they're going offensive line. I think eventually they're going to get the- get it in their heads. They need to protect Joe Burrow. Right. If it's, if it's between Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase, I'm going Panay Sewell. If it's between Jamar Chase and Rashawn Slater, I'm going Jamar Chase. What if Kyle Pitts, what if they go first four quarterbacks oh, and Kyle Pitts is sitting Ky- there? They go Ky- Pitts? Kyle Pitts is the best player in the draft. I, I mean, except for Trevor Lawrence being the, I mean, if you if you, if you you draft Trevor Lawrence, your franchise essentially, theoretically doubles in value, you know, so you got to take him. But Kyle Pitts is, is such a phenomenal player. I think he can play wide receiver. I think he's, I think he is going to be reminiscent of Calvin Johnson when he gets into the league. I think he's that good. That's, that's how good I think he is. Let's go local real quick. Jamin okay. Davis, minus 200 to be a first-round pick. Yes or no? You know, if Vegas says that, I I, I lean, I I just lean towards no. I, I mean, he was a fantastic athlete. Uh, you, run a, you run a 4-3-8, you're that ripped, you do the vertical jump, all of that. Whenever NFL teams see those numbers, they think that there's this really high potential there. I think I think Jamin Davis is a, a, a 10-year player at linebacker. He could start every game. He could be kind of like your London Fletcher that just starts every game for, you know, good uh, 12 like years. That. Exactly. But I, I just... I just don't see the value in this defensive class, even in the later of the first round. I I'll probably would trust Vegas more than myself on this one because he is one of the highest risers over the last three months. Uh, I, I just don't see it personally. Oh, I always trust Vegas more than you, uh, Angelo <laughs> They're right I more trust often. Ve- I, I trust They're, Vegas more yeah, than me, too. Yeah, so exactly. Real quick, lightning round, two questions. Sure. One and a half players from Kentucky going in the first round. The possibility of that. Over. Oh my goodness! I, Joseph, I, I know I can't see it. Can't see it. Who goes third? Out of the Kentucky players? No. Who goes third in the overall draft? Oh, Justin third Fields. overall. You think Mac Jones is going? That's again. That's one of those things where if all the reports when okay, I want to I want to tell you this if you have enough time, Brad. Do you remember back in 2016 when the Rams traded for the first overall pick and the very first reports yes. were Jared Goff, and right. then everybody went, "No, it's it's Wentz, it's it's Wentz." Let's create some drama before the draft. And then what happened? Like a day before the draft, it was like, "No, it's actually Jared Goff," like the original reports had. 
And, and it happens very often like that. The last time we had a true surprise at the number one pick was probably Baker Mayfield, and Adam Schefter broke that eight hours before the draft. But um, if it's if they say Mac Jones, and that's everybody's intel, I I mean I think Mac Jones is by far the worst quarterback out of this class, like out out of the crop of guys. But uh, hey, if that's what they say, I guess it's Mac Jones. If it's not Mac Jones. I almost think it might be Trey Lance, but it, it, Justin Fields, I think, is by far the the choice. If Zach Wilson goes two, Trevor Lawrence goes one, it should be Justin Fields. Ladies and gentlemen, you just heard why. He is our in-house ESPN Radio draft expert. At the top of the hour, he will have his NFL draft spectacular. I just named that the spectacular. Oh, thank you. There you go. The NFL draft spectacular, top of the hour, with our own Angelo Carriero. Make sure you stay tuned for that. He is the best in the business of what he does. Thank you so much for listening to The Bottom Line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel, sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Don't forget, you can follow us online at Twitter at BottomLineLex, and you can email anytime, BottomLineLex at gmail.com. And until the next time, as always, may the winners be yours.